If you would, please take your Bibles out and turn them over to the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 11, to be specific, verses 25 to 30, to be even more specific. Well, as you know, um, on Communion Sundays, we take a break from our regular exposition, and we have a message that's tailored around the communion table. And this morning, I've chosen what is perhaps one of my most favorite paragraphs in the New Testament itself, which is Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Because when you look at this passage of Scripture and you think about the crowd that Jesus was speaking to when He uttered these words, He was looking at people who were weary, who were burdened, who were hurting, who were broken, who were in some senses completely and utterly lost, people who were longing for a shepherd, longing for something real, something true. Not all the religiosity that the Pharisees were trying to impose, but something that really, really did get to the very heart of who they were and speak to to issues in their own lives that met them at the place of their real need and not just imposing this system on them that if they do X, Y, Z right, then maybe God will love them. No, no, no. Jesus was bringing them something real. He was, he was reminding them that in your unloveliness, God will love you, not because of who you are, but because of who He is. And He's saying, don't wait, don't wait to get lovely to come to me. No, 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 no. Come now when you're weary. Come now when you're broken. Come now when you're burdened. Come now when you're lost. And I love this passage of Scripture for that very reason because it's, it gets to the very heart of two things, really. It gets to the very heart of who Jesus is in some senses or in, in, in some ways, but it gets to the very heart of who we are. And, and where those things meet, where those things collide, who Jesus is and who we are, where those things come together, beloved of God, something beautiful happens, because that's where gospel meets need and gives life. And so without delay, Let's read through this paragraph really quickly. This is God's infallible, inerrant word, starting in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom... The Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Please pray with me real quick. Father, thank you for this word and thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the beauty that we find here and for the measure of hope that it gives us. Oh, Father, speak to us deeply now as we come before you, as we stand before you, bare and weak. May your word continue to build us up in you. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, this morning when we think about this passage of Scripture, of course, there is a context here. This is not just a standalone paragraph. It's given in a context. The context is Jesus, he's been asked about uh, the, the followers of John, if he's the one, and then he's been giving some people instruction about his coming and John's place in the kingdom. 
And then he pronounces some woes, some, some judgments, right? He gives judgments against different uh, places and people. And then he leads into this. And so after we get his teaching about John, his teaching about other things, and then these statements of woe, we get this cool transition here. And at that time, Jesus declared, he says, in light of all these things, I want to lay down some basic truth for you. He declares a statement about God. He declares a statement about himself. And he declares a statement about people, people in general. That would be us in this case and his audience. And so when we look at this, there's one idea here that's so prevalent that's the the primary idea in my mind is that Christ brings freedom and rest to a wearied world. When we sing the Christmas hymn, A Weary World Rejoices, you know why we sing that? Because the weary world, the world who is wearied and, and burdened rejoices because the one who can give rest to the weary, the one who can take the burden from the downtrodden had come. And Jesus is giving us a taste of that right here, right now. So when we look at this, he's reminding us that there is rest for the weary, that God is gracious to the weak because he is their only hope. God is gracious to the weak because he is their only hope. And where do we see this play out most significantly? Well, of course, at the cross, but even before that, the incarnation itself, that God sends Christ into a world that is broken and lost, wearied, heavy laden, burdened, under a great amount of toil. The incarnation is God's gift to the world to say, I have sent one into your world that can give rest when you are weary, that can ease your burden, and you can take on a lighter yoke if you have his yoke, because now the very Son of God, when you yoke yourself to him, is bearing your burden with you. That's a beautiful truth. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture a guess that we don't always feel that way, right? We don't always feel like Jesus is bearing our burdens with us, hence we feel oftentimes alone. But beloved, this is where we have to come back to paragraphs like this again and again in moments where we are believing lies and preach truth to ourselves. Jesus says, I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. I am gentle and humble of heart. And so when we think about that, Jesus is the greatest gift to the world. So uh, just briefly here, I want to make a few comments. uh, In verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So we, we, get, we get two things about the Father here that are very important. So one, the Father, it's his prerogative to reveal and conceal. And we just have to be okay with that. It is his prerogative. It is God's prerogative as creator of all things to reveal to whom he will reveal and to conceal from whom he will conceal. That's exactly Jesus makes this comment that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but you've revealed them to little children. But he he identifies the Father's identity here. Who is the Father? Well, he's Lord. And he's Lord of what? He's Lord of heaven and earth. So he's Lord of the created order. He He is the Lord. He is the sustainer. He is the ruler. He is the keeper. All these things. So he has the power and authority to reveal, to show, and to conceal, to hide. And he's well within his right to do so because he's perfectly righteous. But we might think it odd that Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That may seem like an odd response for Jesus to say. Why would Jesus thank God for hiding it from some people and revealing it to others? Well, he gives us a clue in the very next verse. For such was your gracious, or you could even say, such was your good will, or a will that pleased you. So he gives us the basis for why does he thank God? Well, but first, because God's will is perfect and good and right. It's praiseworthy. No matter how it appears to us or how, it, how unpalatable it may sound in a moment to humans in general, you see, God's will is good, it's gracious, it's perfect. But who has he concealed truth from, or who has he hidden these things from? He calls them the wise and understanding. He's kind of using those two words a little tongue-in-cheek here. Those who think themselves wise, those who think themselves understanding. And why does he hide it from the wise and understanding? Because they don't think they need an answer. That's the thing. They are not searching in the same way that little children are. We've, we've, those of us who've been around children, we know when a child is needy, you know it. They let you know that they need something. They let you know that they can't do it on their own. But when you have self-sufficient people who are stubborn and who are able to just answer the question for themselves, as they might suppose, then you have somebody who's not needy, who's not looking for answers. That is why you've got a co contrast here. You've got these self-important, self-righteous, stubborn people who can't see it, and then you've got the little children who are open to it. Who are the little children in this? The weak, the needy, the wearied the burdened, and those who know it, those who know it, who walk with a limp, they know. Their, their, their limp is very evident to them. And so when we think about the beauty here, the truth, it is sobering. This is why the incarnation and the cross are so valuable, because the incarnation and the cross, and the cross seal these truths. They seal them with the blood of Christ, and they are that reminder. So today when we come to the table in just a few moments, we're not coming to the table because we're perfect. We're coming to the table as that reminder that we are in covenant with Christ and we are in a covenant family with his people and that we are needy and we need him every hour just like the hymn says. We're coming to eat and drink spiritual food for ourselves and for our growth and so when we think about what is the culmination of the revealed mercy of God in Christ, it is the cross where Jesus bled and died in our stead. So Jesus continues here. It was the Father's gracious will. And then Jesus makes a statement about himself. So he's made a statement about God, the Father. Now he's making a statement about himself. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So we'll stop right there for just a second. Jesus, we're being told here, is the Father's agent in all this. So God the Father has sent God the Son to execute His will in this way. And so Jesus is the agent of both revelation, He's revealing the Father to whom He will, and mercy. He's extending the mercy of God to sinners. And he will seal that mercy by his own death and vindicated by his resurrection. But what he makes a statement here about a, an exclusive intimacy between the Father and the Son. So he's saying that the Father and the Son enjoy a relationship that is exclusive to them. 
that other people don't enjoy it in the same way that, the, that they do. In fact, Jesus makes a statement here that says, you wouldn't even know the Father if I didn't reveal Him to you. So I'm here to reveal to fa- the Father to His own children. And so He's holding Himself out as the revelation of the Father. This is a bold statement that Jesus is making right here, right now. He is telling a group of people, you see the Father because you see me. I'm making the Father known to you by my very presence and teaching and instruction with you. So the Son makes the Father known, and this is very, if we think about the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's exactly, essentially, what Jesus is saying here, or something very similar, in fact. He is the exclusive way to the Father. There is no other way to know the Father without Christ. There is no other way to be in communion with the Father without Christ. And so Jesus continues this little paragraph. When you look at verses, before we get to 28, 29, and 30, when you look at verses 26 and 27, actually 25 through 27, you get a good picture here of two things, two twin teachings that have to stand side by side but are in constant tension with one another. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. People from whom God is hidden will be condemned as sinners lost from God. They are responsible for that. God is sovereign over all things and can, and can decide to conceal himself from some. These two are in great tension, and Matthew or anybody else in Scripture doesn't, never tries to solve the tension. They just let it sit there. They let it stand because both are true. But so Jesus is setting the table to telling the church how or in one primary way that he reveals God to people. He starts with this interjection, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, literally burdened, and I will give you rest. So this is an invitation here to come to Christ, to come and trust. And when we think of the weary and the burdened in this context, let's let our minds revert back to the children of verse 25. It's revealed them to the little children. So come children who are wearied and burdened. All these titles are titles of humility, of need. That's how Jesus is identifying people, people who are in a humble state and who have needs. And so these are all working together to identify who we are. Now, the original context of this, as I've kind of uh, hinted at it a moment ago, Jesus was speaking to a group of people who were under the great weight of Pharisaical legalism, who were being pressed down and pressed in and taught that as, as long as you can be good enough, you will be accepted by God. And he is, he is releasing the shackles of those lies and giving them a new sense of freedom and hope, of reminding them this is not about you so much as it is about the Lord. And so when he, he's laying these things down, he's reminding them and us. So when we look at this, it reminds us there's a need for freedom in the gospel, not freedom to do whatever we please, freedom to live for and trust in the Lord. Freedom to be renewed constantly by the grace of the Lord. And so, one of the applications we look at this, come to me all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One of the applications is, 
those who feel life's weight, they need hope. Those who feel life's weight needs hope of an abundant life. Not necessarily a monetarily rich life. That's not the abundant life. A life filled with life, for one. A life filled with hope. A life filled with peace. A life where we come to Christ to have our needs met because there are many burdens in this room. There is much weariness in this room. And what Jesus would say is don't try to take it off your shoulders and then come. Don't try to get yourself right and then come. Come and bring it. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Let me take it from you and give you something that you cannot earn, that you cannot ever merit your way to, that can only be given, and that is life in Christ, life in the gospel. And so this is an invitation. I love that he uses the word, I will give you rest, and he says, um, again in verse 30, uh, or uh, again in uh, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There, there's a, there's, there's a, what's called the already and the not yet at work here. And what I mean by that is that's kind of an eschatological statement, a statement about the end of all things. That's what, that's what that word means. So, there's an already where he is saying, I promise to give you rest now. This is not something you have to wait for. As you come to me and you're burdened and you're wearied, I will give you rest now. I will take that great burden of sin off of you and give you my righteousness. I will take the weight of death off of you and give you my life. And so there's an already. There's also a not yet. There's also a, an eternal rest that we are laboring for, that when the end of all things comes, we will enter into a rest that never ends with Christ. No more toil, no more burden, no more tears, no more sin, no more heartache. Complete and utter joy in the presence of Christ and complete and true rest in the presence of Christ. But I love verse 28 in this sense. If you were to translate this verse literally, the very last phrase where we translate it, I will give you rest, is a great translation. Literally what Jesus says there is, I will rest you. I will rest you. He personally, he uh, intimately will rest you. I will rest you. Not I'll just make it possible. Not I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there as an option. I will rest you when you come to me. It's a promise, beloved. It's a promise. It's a promise that is true, and it's been sealed in the death of Christ. You see, that rest is the very balm our souls need. That rest is the very balm a weary soul needs to be reminded of again and again and again when we feel like we are about to collapse under the weight of just life as it's happening, Jesus says, I will give you real rest in your soul and spirit. You will not be famished in Christ. You will be full. You will not be wearied in Christ. You will be rested. That's Jesus' promise to his people. When you look at verse 29, when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, those are expressed commands. But the way they're written here in the New Testament is they're one-time acts. In other, in other words, when we take the yoke of Christ on us, we take it. We don't take it back off and then put it back on and then take it back off and put it back on. We take it on. And 
yoke, I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. There are these two little loop things that were usually made of wood, and they would, they would put oxen together so that they could even out and redistribute the burden that they had to bear. So it made it easier for one animal and the other. And so the, the beauty of taking the yoke of Christ, when we take um, the yoke of Christ on us, we are sharing our burdens with Jesus. In fact, Jesus has taken the main burden off of us, the burden of sin, and He heaped it onto Himself. But what's interesting about this word learn here, it's built off the same stem that the word disciple is built from. So this is not merely just cerebral knowledge. Come and learn this here. This is take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn as a disciple. Live with me. Live with me in my kingdom. Live with me in your life. Live with me as a part of you. Because now you're yoked to Christ, so we're connected. And he's calling us into an active relationship where we are living and learning, living with and learning from Jesus. What he says here, he makes a very important statement. I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's making a statement of identity. He's making a statement about himself. Now, Jesus makes all kinds of statements about himself in the New Testament. You can go to the Gospel, John, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of heaven. Um, Jesus is love. So there's a lot of statements of identity that he makes in the New Testament. This is one of them, and it's a, it's a very important one. He says, uh, I am these things, that I am gentility, or I am gentleness. I am humbleness. The very God of heaven came to earth, and he humbled himself even to death on a cross. And so he's telling us a very important aspect of himself. In other words, the Pharisees were high and mighty. You're not worthy to be in my presence. And Jesus says, I am gentle, I am humble, and I will receive the, the humble. I will receive the broken. Because he became that. What, what they can't understand this, at this point is he is going to become the broken for his people. He's going to be humiliated for his people. He's going to be meek for his people because the very things that we could never do, he would do for us and then hand us his life and say, it is yours. Welcome to my kingdom. Take my yoke upon you. So yes, we come to this, and this is a beautiful statement of identity. This is not the only thing that Jesus is, but this is certainly significant. And it's worth reminding ourselves again and again. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I've read that statement, I don't, I don't know how many times. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes I wonder... How easy is it? Because if you're like me, sometimes it doesn't feel very easy. Sometimes even the situations that Christ would call us into feel very difficult. It doesn't feel easy. It doesn't feel light. It feels very heavy. And in those moments, A, that's why we have lament. We're supposed to weep for things that make us weep. You've heard me say this before. But sometimes in those moments, I have to ask myself, how much am I trying to carry myself and how much am I really giving over to Christ? How much, if it's hard, am I really trusting that Christ wants me in this valley of shadow at this moment for a very specific purpose? And all I really want to do is get out of it. He wants me there. 
That's when those burdens start to become heavy. It's because Brad often lacks trust in those moments, and Brad is all often struggling to make sense of it instead of trusting. But sometimes the burdens feel heavy because they are, and the truth of it is, is that you're not alone. Don't let Satan whisper, you're alone, you're alone, because that's when it starts to really get heavy, and you feel like you can't handle it. Satan would convince you that you're alone in it, and Christ says, come to me and take my yoke upon you, and now you're connected to me. So you're never alone, ever, no matter how it feels. We've got to preach truth to feelings, truth to emotions. That's just the constant job as a Christian that we have to do, to take control of those emotions and bring them to the cross Take that anxiety, that depression, that fear, that constant sadness, that anger, those outbursts of rage, that jealousy, and all those other things that weigh us down, these emotions that we feel, and begin to put them at the cross. Give them to the one who bears our burdens with us. We have true rest in Christ, beloved, both now and forever. We have it. It's not a possibility if you sit here this morning and you are wearied and burdened, you have rest. Brad has rest. It's not just a thing that we'll get eventually. We have it now. Indulge it. Revel in it. Glory. Give glory to Christ because of it. Celebrate it. And when Satan comes to whisper in your ear, cling to it because we have hope in Jesus. We have hope in Jesus. We have hope in Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this hope that we do have in your Son. Thank you for the beauty of this paragraph, the richness that it is, just the life and hope that it gives. May we really, truly believe it. God, there are people here this morning struggling to believe it, And I pray that you touch each one of our hearts as we struggle, that we would truly be reminded at this very moment, this is true. And I don't have to bear burdens alone. I don't have to walk in the darkness by myself. I don't have to yield over to those lies because the truth is, is that you have called us to come to you with our labors and burdens and that you will rest us. That when we take your yoke upon us and learn from you, that you will give rest to our souls, the beautiful truth that your yoke truly is easy and your burden light because you bear the weight of them. Oh, Father, may we believe it. Through Christ we pray. Amen.